It's Tuesday, March 27th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 479 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 59 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Eric. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, so Eric is our new low-rent Brodor. Yeah, I, I can't fill his shoes. I can fill his anus, but I cannot fill his shoes. Oh, you're not going to fill it. You can slide right in there, but you're not going to fill it. You know, obviously we didn't do it, but I was actually contemplating for this episode, instead of getting behind the mics, just taking like our phone video cameras and just crashing his store. And just making him demonstrate product to us and give us a tour around. We just make fun of him for a while and whatever. Harass him in his place of employment. Because that's what you do when you're friends. That's right. So, all right. Thankfully, no one can crash my place of employment. So I don't, I can say, yeah, that's what we do as friends. <laughs> yeah, a security badge for mine. Exactly. Or a hammer and a gun. Good luck. I mean, it's escalating. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, it, it still is the same theme. All right. So... What I want to talk about today is a Facebook post that Eric made. So, Eric, you're bringing our first topic. Okay. I want you to tell us about that Facebook post you made today. Okay. What well, I here's my opinion of the president. That's right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike most Facebook posts, no. Right. What I posted was it was talking about there is a, such a thing as GM imposter syndrome, where people who play with, especially with, someone who's an established GM, someone who's really good at the, at, the, at the craft, if you want to call it that, that sets the bar for what you measure yourself and how you run a game. And I've known people who, just starting out, who feel very intimidated about running a game because they've played in games ran by people who are really good game masters. And I still feel that after all these years of running games, that I still get intimidated and I feel like, man, I really don't, you know, I don't measure up to some of the people yeah. that I've played with. When I'm running a game, I always have in the back of my head, one of these days, these people are going to figure out I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's like everybody, one of these days, someone's going to figure out that I'm a sham. Yeah. And for anyone who's not familiar with it, that's what imposter syndrome is, is it's a psychological belief that you are not as qualified as the people around you and you are an imposter to the role that you aren't really up to a task, whether it's a job or a hobby or whatever it may be. And at some point people are going to figure out that you really aren't that good at this. And it also figures in to sometimes people don't even start things in the first place. They sit down to get that short story submission together, but then freak themselves out with, production anxiety and say, well, I can't do this. And they choke. And that's that this happens to artists all the time. I've worked with a lot of artists who are great artists until you ask them to draw. <laughs> and then suddenly they're done. They, they freak out and they can't do it. Yeah, I'm willing to bet three of the four of us here have had massive issues with this at some point. I can't imagine Chad struggling with this. I, I don't want to sit here and say, well, I'm just a really great GM guys. What's your problem? <laughs> it, it's You're, not that, because I know that I, I have run terrible games. I know that I have 
set a certain bar for myself that I've not been able to reach at times. And I know that I also, I've run really great games. I've, I've run games that I've been impressed with and I've run games that other people have said are, are good. And then, you know, criticized and stuff. I'm all over the place. The reason I didn't think that you would have experienced it is I think one of the key things about this, it all grows out of anxiety. You're the kind of person that takes things as they come. You don't overthink about. You know, it. I where I think the the other three of us. No, I'm we're gonna. gonna I think I'm great. So <laughs> I, I was gonna say I actually don't think on this one it falls on the side of the aberration, which by the aberration I mean the mathematical aberration of an anxiety disorder. I right. I, I think this one actually goes the other direction. Where Chad is the outline data point, not just oh, no. in this room, but no, in general, I completely right? agree with that because uh, you know most people at some point in their life or at many points in their lives feel this. There's a reason why you choke before going up to speak in front of a crowd because you think you're not going to be able to do it. This is huge in the business world and in careers. Most people in a professional role have these thoughts going in their head of "I'm not as good as this other person" or one of these days they'll find out that I'm not really ready for this role. Yeah. Right. And, and this ties into something else called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect deals with how someone actually stacks up versus how they perceive they stack up. That people tend to over or underestimate the skill that they actually have. And of course, in this case, we're talking about mostly the people that think they're not as good as they actually are. Now, I have played under... Except for me. I think I'm really great, and I really am. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, yeah, sure. And, and you're, you're, there are these these paragons of, of self-actualization <laughs> right. that, that, you know, we wouldn't be able to strive to sate hunger if we didn't know what it means to be fed. Right. Yeah. And so... Like Kevin Simbiata doesn't have this problem. No, no, he does not. <laughs> and I have played under some game masters, none at this table, but I have played under some game masters who, quite frankly, think they're a lot better at it than they are. But... Here's what I'm going to say. God bless them for doing it. They're at least stepping up and they're doing it. Mm -hmm. I'd rather somebody be attempting it and hopefully learning from it. Okay, the ones that are stillborn that aren't learning. Yeah, okay, maybe they don't need to be doing this. But the ones that are looking to learn, everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. It's like anything else. You just figure it out over time. So... Where I'm going with this is, Eric, I thought about what I could talk about that might not just help you, mm -hmm. but help other people that are listening who feel intimidated by game mastering or role playing because of the fact that they think they're not that good at it or they're not that well prepared for it or they're not as good as so-and-so, whoever so-and-so is. In your post, you called out specifically me. And some other individual, Mike. Mike. Okay, yeah. you call it me and Mike. I, I don't remember the other name off the top of my head. And for people at home, maybe you're listening to Skies of Glass AP, and that's got you feeling some particular way, or maybe not. Maybe it's somebody else in your life. Maybe it's just some imagined level of skill that doesn't even tie to a real person. So here's the service Fear the Boot is going to provide to you. This episode, I'm going to have to G-rate this for the title, but since we can bleep the audio. This episode is I'm a GM because I'm going to tell you guys some stories here. And I know Chad and Wayne, we're going to have some other stories here going around about some things that have gone wrong and why some of the games we've done recently 
have not fallen into those traps. I love this idea as a topic. And besides giving these examples, the best thing to help people having this problem is just to know that three out of the four people at this table have this problem. <laughs> yeah. We feel like we are imposters while we're running. Right. And I've ran games for years. And I and that's that's another part of this is sometimes success makes this worse because you feel like you have to live up to your best. Your best. Yep. And especially if you have people going, your game is one of the greatest I've ever played or whatever, you know, even if they don't say something as high as that, high praise, you still feel like, oh, now I have to top that. Yeah. When you really don't, you really don't have to top anything. Yeah. And I don't mean to boo hoo here because that's certainly not what this show's about. This is going to be me making fun of myself and probably other hosts making fun of themselves. So this is certainly not, you know, some kind of boo hoo sort of thing. But I will say going into Fear of the Con. One of the things that I kind of felt was I knew, okay, I do a show on gaming advice and things like that. Are people going to expect that I'm going to be just this specimen of a game master, which I'm not, particularly in the short game. I said many times, a short game is not my strength. Even if I'm going to have a shot at running a great game, it's going to be the long game. It's got to be an ongoing campaign. If you're signing up for a con game, if you want to hang with me or you want to play one of my homebrews, I'm a good pick. If you're looking for somebody that's going to run just the killer three or four hour con game, I am probably not your best pick. And, you know, I so I went into the con with that kind of trepidation of, man, what are people going to expect of me and how that, can I possibly live up to that? That is really reassuring to hear you say that. Because I've had that every time I go into a con game of these are people that listen to me and they're trying to get into this because they've listened to the podcast. And I have that exact same level of nervousness when I go into a con game of they have an expectation. I don't want them to have an expectation. Yeah. 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 All right. So here we go. Let's start talking about terrible things. I want to lead off with a sort of a thesis statement, which is a reminder that fear the boot is a monument to our failures. This is like a giant mountain built atop the corpses of so many bad games and so many poor decisions. The way I described it to Eric on Facebook, as I said, where we're at today is like having finally figured out the perfect bathtub toys by virtue of having tried everything else in the house first, starting with the toaster. Right. Why did Sir William use a frying pan? Because I was so ineffectual in creating a character that I could do more damage with a frying pan <laughs> than the weapon I picked for the character. <laughs> Precisely. The advice that we offer on the show and the things that we talk about. First of all, I want you guys to keep in mind that these are things that we are talking about in the abstract. Until the sky's a glass AP, unless you come to fear the common, you had not seen or heard any of us actually game master. So we're sitting around pontificating this would be like if you had never seen a sports game and listened to any random you know, sports fan sitting there on Monday morning explaining how the game should have been played, and you took that as fact, like, wow, this guy really knows this stuff. You know, no, that's, you got to understand where we're coming from. When I first got my start doing role-playing games, here's some of the bad decisions I made. The maps. Now, I don't mean maps like map combat. This fastest Star Trek game, which I love, had this terrible idea in it. 
which is to draw area maps for everywhere that the people could go. And so if they walked into a room, I had a graph paper map drawn out of that room. So what are the players trying to do? Everything they can to get off that map. They're nitpicking every little bit because I didn't like print these out. I drew them by hand. So they're nitpicking every little piece of the art, thinking it's significant or just making fun of it. And it utterly detracted from the game. It is amazing to me sometimes how you draw a map and present it thinking that you're giving them more options, you're helping to clarify, when in reality it seems like half the time when you draw a map, you're limiting their options and they don't think outside of the map. That's something I've seen over and over again. the same way about character sheets sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's something I see over and over again. So when I draw a map now, it's usually because... Either it's complex enough where it actually matters where things are because I've gone the other route and not drawn a map and everyone got confused and didn't know where anything was. But I draw very basic high level maps and don't get into a bit of detail with the map just because it does. It either confuses or makes them feel trapped. Right. At and, least I've seen that multiple times. And as a game master, especially with what you're talking about, you almost feel like you're being cheated if you're not if they're not exploring the areas that you already have mapped out. Right. And you try and steer them in those directions and then they're like, well, you're just re- railroading me into a direction or whatever. They feel like they're I'm not railroading you. There's no railroad tracks on this map. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what a zombie game on a railroad. <laughs> just saying. So it'd be kind of like what a snow piercer or whatever yeah. that is. No piercer. Except all the survivors are on a train. Yeah. <laughs> And if the train stops, the zombies catch up. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so weird. Esoteric stuff. I have had a real problem in my games where I pick up these concepts or pick up these clues that make perfect sense to me. It is so obvious to me what is going on and what these things mean that the players have no idea. They just don't even follow what I'm getting at. They're not connecting the dots. They're not seeing what I'm trying to get at because I didn't step out of my own head. I didn't have tools like the three clue rule. <laughs> you know, I didn't step out of my head and think about would they actually even be able to process this? Because to me, it just makes perfect sense. But to them, it didn't. And so pretty soon the characters start getting frustrated. Players start getting frustrated. Less and less is getting done. I'm eventually just speaking to a whole bunch of people that are just staring blankly or lashing out in frustration because they don't get what's going on, but they understand what it means to kill someone in their way. I think uh, the problem with, uh, as players with that, that not not just for you, Dan, as a GM and your players, I mean in general, is you know the, the GM loses kind of focus or he kind of loses the plot or maybe he's doing railroad and maybe the game is just not that great. And I think there's a tendency... To want to keep going. The, the players want to make it work. The GM either has not really acknowledged that the game is not that great, or maybe they're thinking it's not that great, but they got to keep going because that's the thing with the imposter syndrome is that you kind of keep flailing around, or at least you perceive that you're flailing around even if you're not. And I think one of the reasons why I don't have the sort of anxiety you guys are talking about is I believe in failing fast. I have run terrible games, but I try to at least identify. I'm like, man, this game isn't working. Okay, you know what, guys? Is it not working for you? It's not working for you. It's not working for me. End it. 
And, you know, it because I would rather end a crap game and start something new that would be good than trying to breathe life into this dead piece of crap that I'm running. It, I, I think that's part of it is, well, it's like I said, the, the whole thing about imposter syndrome is you think you're failing, but you're not. And I think that really you have to have a realistic view of, am I failing? Are the players telling me I'm failing? Are they not telling me I'm failing? It's part of defeating the imposter syndrome is getting feedback that you can trust. And that's actually difficult to do because people don't like to challenge and people don't want to shit on other people's ideas. They don't understand that saying this isn't that great. Here are the reasons it's not that great is not acceptable because there's this because a you don't want to on your friends. But there's also this sort of belief that I really hate of, well, if you're going to criticize, don't criticize if you can't come up with something better. Those concepts are unrelated. I can identify good and bad, yet not have to provide any advice. And uh, this, this belief that you have to provide advice kind of, I think, stops some people from, from criticizing. Yeah. Like if you're running game and it's terrible because it's slow and there's no plot and the characters are boring, I can say... You know, it's it's kind of slow. I'm not really feeling the characters. And I don't know where this plot is going. That doesn't mean I have to say, okay, you're done. I'm running the game. Or here's what I would do. The Road was an incredibly boring movie. You're not going to write could your I, version of the yeah. novel. <laughs> could, could I make a better movie? I don't know that I could. I probably couldn't because I know almost nothing about movie making. I could certainly make one that's less boring because that's a really low quality <laughs> job. It might be nothing more than, let's say, like the room with a whole lot of violence just to keep it interesting. But that's as far as I'm going to get. I don't have any delusion that I, I could make a great movie. You know, Eric, something else that also added to a lot of the struggle that I had was, and, and I'm sure there's other people have gotten this. I hope this is not common. I hope. Maybe it's more common than I want to think. Is... I had some people say some very, very negative things about me. Now, some of this came from a period in the podcast history way back in the other days of the podcast when there was some intra-host conflict. And I had a couple people that either were hosts or at least even they weren't hosts were closely affiliated with the podcast say some very nasty things about me. Some of these are direct quotes. One of them said, Dan's a shitty GM or something effective. You know, I'm sorry you're to somebody else. He said, I'm sorry you're struggling with that, but you know, you just need to get past the fact that Dan's a shitty GM. And that was, you know, once again, this is supposed to be somebody that was, you know, on the same side, right? This right. is not yeah. supposed to be some enemy of mine. What's sad, but true. That is what you take and remember. Oh yeah. But okay. I point back to uh, one of the Epoch of Risos games where we had the opposite thing where you were going through the whole struggle of this game is horrible. I'm doing a horrible job. This is bad. And all of us love the game. And we kept coming back and telling you every week, those are the kind of things that don't stick with us. Yeah. We don't remember that everyone's coming back and saying, we're doing really great. But someone says one bad thing. That's what's in our head. Nice. Dude, I, I, I don't know, man. I I mean, yeah, no, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I remember the opposite. The stuff that I remember about games is like when I ran a game at a Fear of the Con and one of the players came up to me, hugged me, and said, this was the best game I've ever played. 
rendered me absolutely speechless. So for three out of four people at the table, <laughs> we remember the bad things well, that are said. And the bad games fail them fast. Yeah. I ran a bad game. <laughs> well, well, end it. Let me well, give you another example that this isn't directly on game mastering, but it's certainly a game related topic. And this goes back to that same time period when there was intra podcast conflict. Uh, there were a handful of people, some associated with the show, some that were just nothing more than listeners who felt the need to take a side, who told me in no uncertain terms, whether directly to my face or in very public posts in places that they knew that I would see it, what a terrible game and a terrible concept Skies of Glass was, uh, how... No, what, they're objectively wow. wrong. One of yes. them, and I quote, said, this is poorly written even by the standards of game fiction. I mean, it's just, I, they went very direct, very harsh. So this wasn't even just imagined failure or criticism. Now, maybe this wasn't actual yeah. failure, but it certainly was very real, and harsh I, and criticism. I, and I get the, the pain. Believe me, I, I get where you, especially, or anybody would feel pain on it. But it's just like, you know what? They're wrong. And that's a them problem. Right? Yeah, well, Sure. But but it hurts. It, I get that. It, it hurts, and if you've got that imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you don't know that they're wrong. Right. You start to think maybe this is the only person telling me the mm -hmm. truth. Maybe they're onto something. Maybe these are people who, because they don't like me, will say things with disregard for my feelings that nah, are they're, true. They're dicks. Oh, I <laughs> look. There, there's an intellectual truth to this and an emotional truth yes. to this, and the intellectual truth. On that level, it's like on the level of the superego or whatever, yeah. you're 100% right, and I know you're right. But on the level of the id, you know, that mm -hmm. reptile brain, it doesn't calculate out that way. And that's part of the reason why Skies of Glass got iced for so many years. Well, and when you feel like an imposter, it doesn't even necessarily have to take someone saying something bad. But if you hear them telling other people, hey, your game was great, your game was great, but you don't hear it about your game? Look. Let me ask you guys this. Actually, let me ask Eric this because, okay. you know, we've been John a lot here. <laughs> so I'm a player mm -hmm. and I'm playing in like your game. And I have a, at least a vague awareness of, you know, I saw your Facebook post and the imposter syndrome and I friends with you and stuff. I'm in your game and there is a criticism that I have. Right. How do I communicate that to you without hurting you without destroying the game without feeding the lizard part of your brain right. how do right. i do that well for me personally i think it's a little bit different because i'm i'm way harder on myself mm -hmm. than other people are on me and like you were saying dan maybe it's just people being nice or things like that i, I it's like you're trying to read into those things so if you were to say hey man you know what the way you're doing this really doesn't work i actually respect that much more because it's much more direct it's the inattentiveness it's, mm. it's if i'm running a game 100 yeah, and they're and i look over and somebody's on their phone and i'm like i'm obviously not holding their attention mm -hmm. or they you know they don't bother showing up to the game or things like that then i'm wondering am i not am i yeah. not compelling if enough? someone says something to me that is polite critique i'm with you Eric. that i will process that a whole lot better than i will inattentiveness or harsh assault you know right? it, it's but, one thing to say that but like role play that out for me like how how would you say that because and one person's politeness 
is another person's wishy-washy, whereas in one sure. person's directness is okay. another person stepping on their ball. What I would say is, and now everyone's different, Yeah. so this goes back to one of our endless axioms of, of know your party. No, In this case, know your game master, I guess, but know the people you're gaming with as best as you can. I think one of the things I'm good enough at the level of empathy to read is someone's sincerity. Okay, so let's say, for example, I noticed throughout most of the game, if, and I'm, by the game, I don't mean the sitting. I mean the campaign as a whole. Mm-hmm. You're engaged. You're attentive. You want to be there. You've got ideas for your player or your character. I hear you pitching things, you know, when we're not gaming, so I know what's on your mind. And then you catch me after one game, and you say, Dan, you've got this plot thing, and it's not working out. It just doesn't really fit in with what the party's interested in, and I think we need to find some way away from that. I, you know, would that feel great to hear? Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to no, hear that. But would that really be harsh enough to knock me off the horse? And the answer is no, because of the fact that you have given me sincere feedback in the context of sincere participation. And I'm 100% on the same page as Eric, that that participation, that mm-hmm. sense that I can tell you're into the game in general creates a context I don't have otherwise. Because when these people came after me saying, you know, you're a shitty writer and you're a shitty game master and your game's terrible and blah, blah, blah. They're just ad hominem attacks. Well, yeah, they're, they're just people yeah. being jerks. Yeah. But the point is that I have no context on who these people are, how reliable their opinions are. It's totally in a vacuum. Whereas if I see that you're enjoying a game and you come to me with one criticism, I see that in a context. And something, at least for me, I would suggest against because of the fact that it smacks of insincerity. Is the compliment sandwich. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what a compliment sandwich is like, Dan, I love this game. You did a great scene with this. But you know, this thing blew. But this other NPC was a lot right. of fun. And it's like, okay, you know, I, I, cause suddenly. It's a roller coaster ride of emotion here. Just tell me what the <laughs> f you want. Well, yeah. And, and I, I think it, it creates a sense that I understand you're trying to spare my feelings. I get that. Mm-hmm. It makes me discount the positive that precisely. you just Precisely. Yeah. Right. The yeah. positives feel completely insincere because I know it's the structure of a compliment sandwich. <laughs> and so I, I, I see what's going on there. Just cut. You know, show If you're enjoying something, show me. Yeah. So have you ever had the moment when someone comes to you and says, uh, hey, this NPC was great. And then your mind, you're like, well, what about the other NPCs? <laughs> See, and my thing is, hey, this NPC was great. My mind was like, yeah, but I got five more other great NPCs. <laughs> what about those guys? You know, some love. I, 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 for me at least, that doesn't profoundly bother me because of the fact that it just kind of gives me a sense of okay, there's something in here they're latching onto. It's one of those things where I, I overthink everything. And I know that about myself, so I have to watch it. When I'm given a compliment about something that happened in a session, my mind is always looking for, okay, that's what they're complimenting. What are they not saying? What did they not like, but they don't want to come out and say it, so they're saying this instead? Yeah, l- let me throw out, uh, let's play a little trivia game here. In the Skies of Glass game, what's the name of Emily's father or grandfather? I, know, I have it on the notes, but I don't remember it. Off you know, there. if you would have said... What is the name of the little girl on, who stowed away on the ship? I would have been like, because uh, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> right, I'll, right. I'll okay. play that card. But no, I don't. I don't remember. Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember the name? I'm trying to. It's, I can't. 
can't remember. His name is Thomas Barnes. Barnes, right. Ah, okay, so right. Thomas Barnes. What's if the I, name of Lee's horse? Horse color. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I remembered Kane from the previous game. You remembered Frederick I Kane. Did, from... Yes, I knew the name. Would be even before you said the name, I knew we were going to be interacting with Kane, and I knew the name because I remembered him from the previous game. Because he walks the earth and he knows kung fu. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you remembered the woman who makes the apple muffins. Yeah. I believe her name was Margaret. I don't recall. I'd have to dig up those old game notes. But we, you at least remember the existence of that character. Now let me throw out a different one. Do you remember Leopard's actual name? Kid. <laughs> it is not that. No, it's that. <laughs> no, I don't remember it. No. I'm sure I have it written down. Oh, yeah. That's but. why we need Bro. That's why we have Brodeur. That's right? why you have Brodeur, right? <laughs> yeah. But let's see. All right. Now let's let's dissect all of this. There are things you remember and things you don't. What does this tell me about the game? And I think this is a great exercise for anyone who's struggling with imposter syndrome, who is nitpicking themselves on stuff like this. All right. The, the compliment one thing, but not the other. Let's take Leopard as an example. When I said Leopard, did I have to explain to you who that NPC was? Nope. nope. You guys know who that NPC is. You have an opinion on him. Chad had an insult for him. <laughs> Clearly, there's an emotional investment there, right? So there is something about this character that's working. Try and kill my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me any three random factoids about him? Any three. He's a tactical genius. He's a tactical genius, okay. He came from a, sp- a space colony. He's from somewhere in space. Third one's got, there's some easy ones here. He's boning Songbird. Yeah. He's boning Songbird. Okay, so you remember things about this character. You didn't remember one thing. You know what that says to me? Not that the character sucks. Just that one particular factoid wasn't important. Now, I could take this, and I could do this at the setting level. Okay, for example, I could say, well, within a city, for example, you might remember certain characters in certain locations, but not others. Now, what that tells me is you like what I'm doing with the setting overall. Look, the human mind is structured to retain some information and ditch others. We do this all the time. This is why uh, if you're sitting in a room you don't hear conversation until somebody calls your name and you hear that your brain is designed to filter out information because otherwise it would be too much. You couldn't process it. Your memory works the same way. We don't have a perfect memory. We remember certain facts and discard others. When I'm getting feedback as a game master, I have to keep that in mind. And so if I say, look, let's talk about this one city and I'm like, we'll name this person, this person, this person. And you can only name one of the three. But you can tell me as a whole what you think about the plot and the setting and whatnot. I have to look at a bigger picture of your interpretation and your investment in what I'm doing. I, I can't get hung up on, well, what about this one NPC you've not commented on? Yeah, right. I mean, and when it comes to NPCs, how hard is it to remember someone's name? You learn names by repetition. You don't repeat them in a game usually. And like we just said, I've got it in my notes. It mattered enough that I wrote it down, right. but I'm no, I've I know, got I'm it not in Wayne's remember. notes <laughs> and <laughs> Broder's notes, right? Exactly. And you could you could have said the the actual character name. I wouldn't. I associate that character as Leopard. I don't associate it with the yep. other name, right? You know. So and and it's like street names and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. You would you associate that. Well, when it comes to names, I've told Chad the name of his NPC a few times when he's running games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a proper noun guy. No, I say. no. So. 
this has been a long running joke in the one really long running Transformers campaign we had. I actually finally gave up and wrote out flashcards <laughs> and these were not for obscure characters. It was like Autobot Decepticon <laughs> Unicron who played a peripheral role, but he was in there. And so Chad would be like, so we're having a problem with the, the, and I just hold up the note card. Decepticon. <laughs> Decepticon. What's amusing to me is we have name plaques for our name. Mm-hmm. And he still was calling his character Brodor's character's Bro- name, and Brodor's character his character. Name. I'm a very visual person, and so when I'm looking at something, that filters into what I'm saying and doing. So all the times when I do that, I'm sitting there and I'm talking, monologuing, role playing, whatever, and I'm like kind of looking off and looking down, and I'm looking at Joe. Brodor's character's name that I have written on the back of my name plaque with an arrow pointing to him so that I know that he's playing Joe or whatever. But I'm seeing it, and so my mind, instead of saying, well, I have Lee go and do this, my mind just grabs it and says, so I have Joe go and do this, and Joe, I'm just like, wait, I mean, I'm not Joe, Lee. <laughs> but, you know, on the criticism thing, I, I try to be really honest when I run a game. I don't go into it with expectations. I don't get the the imposter syndrome because I'm trying to do something weird or new or different all the time. And so I'm not comparing myself like Dan. I'm not Dan. I'm never going to run a Dan game. I am never going to be like that. And I don't see it as I'm never going to be as good as Dan because I'm not a competitive person. I'm going to try to do this other weird thing that has nothing to do with Dan or even stuff I've done in the past. And I tell people up front when I run games, especially at cons and their one shots, I'm like, okay, I'm trying this. This might suck or it might be great. There's going to be a risk here. And if it's bad, you know, tell me and we're going to try to work with it here, whatever. And when I am done running a game, I don't want to hear, oh, it was great. Thank you. I mean, that feels great and nice. But there is a difference between wanting to get feedback to be motivated to run a game. And then there's a difference between getting feedback to wanting to improve yourself. And yeah, yeah, I love hearing people tell me I'm great or whatever. But I say at the end of a game, I'm like, okay, hit me. What worked? What didn't? Don't hold back. I'm a big boy. I can take it because I need to know what did not work. But equally, I need to know what did work and what's working for you guys and saying, you know, you ran a great game. That's not what I'm asking for. Right. You might as well be jerking me off. Right. Right. Which I mean, is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Dan started this off by saying we were going to be sharing stories of things that didn't go right. With that in mind, Mm -hmm. I want to hear a Chad story of something that didn't work. A gaming game master failure. Well, I mean, I, I think off the top of my head was that fantasy game that I had where it, it's like I had an idea to play. Everyone plays dwarves. It's a fantasy game. Dwarven hold. We're in a mountain. And I got hooked on this idea of just this city in a mountain and it's dwarves. And then there's this culture and that the players, when they make their characters are going to make different aspects of the culture of the city and such. And the whole thing takes place in the city and the outside is like practically outer space. It might as well just be some unknown out there. And I I really enjoyed 
working that idea and I was very excited about it because I wanted to see what the character, what characters the players would make. Cause again, <laughs> and they made not dwarves. They made not dwarves. So like a cleric <laughs> would define the religion of the, the society right. and a fighter would define the military aspect. And that's her thing. I remember and, thinking, it's like, I don't want to play a dwarf, but Chad wants a dwarven city. I'm going to be a dwarf. But and you're a druid. I was a dwarf. But you were a druid. You're a druid. A so druid. you might as well not have been a dwarf. But the, which is fine. You enjoyed your character. The I'm druid like, okay. I picked, though, <laughs> was tied into your setting. Yes, it was. I was a druid. That, Our setting. I was a druid that wasn't a forest druid. I was a cave druid. Right. The animals I turned into were the things that were in right. the cave. I So you were like blind. Blind, blind fish and shit like that. <laughs> turned into like mice mm-hmm. and bats and things. Because yeah. you wanted to explore the dwarven culture. So right. I'm like, what would a dwarven druid be like? What would a druid mm-hmm. that doesn't leave the underground be yeah. like? Because, so, I mean, a cave is nature. Right. And it's, it's not artificial. It's nature. Yep. Mm-hmm. But so You can't say I didn't give that one yeah. a try. Now, the rest of the party? Oh, yeah. It was like elves and shit. Did you did you establish that like at a in a session zero or anything like that? Like, this is what yeah, I want to yeah. do. That, that was and the they still pitch. went off the rails. Yeah, that was the pitch, <laughs> and everyone's like, okay. And then when they started coming up with their characters, nobody wanted to play a dwarf. And did we even get a first game? Oh I yeah, we had a we had a couple sessions. Yeah, before, yeah. I think we were giving because, it a shot because or, Dawn made a elf that hated all dwarves. Right, and it got so bad. That she set that character aside and played that character's brother. Right. So we got yeah. at least a couple sessions out of it because yeah. enough for her to have to you know, that's, do two characters. That's one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chad and I are unquestionably sinking on the same ship there <laughs> because the ideas that I have in my head that don't pan out in yeah. execution. I've had so many campaigns that were so great in my head. And either the players weren't interested to begin with, which is totally fine, mm-hmm. right? They're hobby time, too. I mean, they could be wrong. Or, right. Yeah, they could be wrong. Or I didn't pitch it to them well yeah. enough that either, A, they bought into it, or more specifically, didn't buy into it, or B, they didn't understand it, or whatever the case was, that it dies right there yeah. on the vine. Or it gets started, and it is just a damned rolling disaster well, because... I was trying to run something that in my mind I could mm-hmm. picture, and it wasn't railroady. It's not like I have this story that you guys have to all subjugate yourselves well, to. Like, I want to play pirates, but everybody else wants to play merchants that are landlocked. And it's yeah. like, you know, well, okay, that's not going to gel. I mean, the, the dwarf thing, it's me being a bad GM. It is not the fault of the players for wanting to play something that they want to play. It is my fault. For not telling them no. Right. You know, I should have said, well, I want to play an elf. And it's well, like, let me ask you, no. So I point this back to that Epic of Rysos game I mentioned. You wanted us to be specifically military. Yes. We didn't want to be military. We mm-hmm. came up with characters. We love the game. But in your mind, we weren't what you needed us to be for that game. I wasn't. Because you didn't say no. Yeah. That's why it, it fell apart. Because that's why you didn't feel like you were giving us the game that you wanted to. And we loved the game we were yeah. getting. And the and that's that's a problem with not failing fast. Well, because if if like the dwarf game or the Epoch of Rysos game, where your broad umbrella, your wide berth is, hey guys, anything you want as long as it's sort of like military e, it works. And I'm mine was the same way. Anything you guys want to do and play, you define everything. Except we kind of got to be dwarves, and 
everyone start 99% of the players are like, no, we're not playing military. In that case, we're not playing dwarves. In this case, you have to say, okay, is it time to fail fast is laying down the law and running what I want to run and getting them to conform. Is that going to work? It might. Yeah. Is it going to work? And if it doesn't fail the game and move on, if you know what you need for the game and you know that you're not getting it because of, yeah, that's not what the players want. Run a different game. Fail it. Fail it is, fast, and it's okay. Well, or, or, I have a, I have a different issue. Fixation. Mm. Okay, if I come home from work, and I don't know where something is, I've realized during the course of the day, I don't know where a piece of paper is, I don't know where just some random thing is. I don't even need it, right? I, I'm not looking for it for any particular reason, but I just suddenly realize I don't know where it is. I have real trouble letting go of that until I have found it, right? It just, it locks me up. And in the same way, something that I botched way, not just that in that Epic of Rysos campaign, but in several other campaigns, is I fixated on where I wanted this campaign to go, the kind of thing I wanted to see play out. And when the players maybe even really thoroughly enjoyed the game, but were enjoying it in a different way, I couldn't switch targets and say, you know what? Let's go take it this direction. I just need, I've got a good game here. It's just not the one that I was aiming for. I just need to readjust and we'll still have a great time. And I fixated on that. And that's a habit I had to learn to break. Yeah. I take that as an extension of the perfect is the enemy of the good. In this case, the vision is the enemy of the yeah, good. Of the execution. Absolutely. It was, it becomes an inflexible. And that's what happened in the Epoch Rysos game. It wasn't per se that I thought the game was terrible. It's that I had this plot I was trying to work through, and I had no way to get you guys anywhere, even ballpark near that plot anymore. And that's where I started to feel like I I just, I didn't know where I was going with the game anymore. And I sabotaged myself is what happened. Yeah, I've done that too. I, I ran a game where it was, I pitched it as Harry Potter uh, meets Sky High. Okay, it's a fantasy school. And I had an idea of Harry Potter age adventuring kids in a school setting doing these things. And as it started to like spiral out of control, because I was using the D&D rules, it just didn't feel like my initial idea was being adhered to. And I I eventually was just like, you know what, we've got to stop this. But part of the reason why I didn't kill it quick is being a victim of my own success of being told, Oh yeah, you're a great GM. Mm -hmm. If I'm such a freaking great GM then I can fix this, right? You know, I can, I can write this because I'm supposed to be great. And then that just makes it even worse when you finally do pull the plug. Cause then you're like, no, I'm really not. Yeah. Yep. So one of my examples, one of the, I came up with multiple things I've screwed up, but from a campaign standpoint, I tried to run a Pokemon game. Oh, there's a list of things that went wrong with this game. Number one, I found a system online that nobody knew anything about, downloaded it, and tried to adhere to this system that was a fan-made system. The system was horrible. Didn't fit the feel of what I was going for in any way. Mistake number one, overly complex system that didn't fit the feel of the game. Mistake number two, most of the people at the, at the table had no input or feeling on the property. So I'm all excited about this. I know at least it's, one it's or two other over, players. It's, for me, it's an overdefined property. There's nothing I can add 
to the Pokemon universe. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm all excited thinking I'm going to walk these players through their Pokemon adventure. They're going to get their Pokemon. They're going to work through. They're going to go through the gyms. I have this plot that's going on in the background that they barely got a view in because it didn't last very long. And that I, and combat took three hours. And it, it came to the problem <laughs> of the system made the combat last too long. The players didn't have the passion for the property that I did. Right. Now, if I had done this a few years later, there would have been a lot more passion for the property because Pat got obsessed with Pokemon Go for a while. But besides that, I was looking for the one hero's journey equivalent. Basically, I was trying to present them all. This is your story of your journey up. But it wasn't that story is designed for one person to play through. Right. It's not designed for a party. Everything about this lined up to just be a horrible game. And thankfully, I realized it pretty quick. I think we only went through a session or two before I said, this isn't working. And it was, the feel wasn't right, like you were saying. The system didn't match the feel. Right. More and more I'm learning, you have to find a system that matches the feel you're looking for. But the players didn't have the passion. Like you guys were saying, they weren't bought into the idea. They were giving it a try because... I've run games for them. They're my friends. They appreciate it. We'll give, we'll try this, but they weren't doing what I wanted to be, have done. Right. And here's the, the thing about that. When I, I hear, well, when I hear you guys say that you're bad GMs, cause that's a totally ridiculous concept to me that you guys are terrible and cause it's just wrong, but good GMs can run bad games. Yeah. It's okay. You cannot run every game where you knock it out of the park. You can't run every game session yeah. of a wonderful game where you and can I knock think it out of the park. Anyone listening to this can think of a TV show, a book series, maybe an author as a whole, whatever, that they love, and they know there's those stinkers in there. There's the books that suck. There's the episodes that they just don't watch. They skip past or they grit their teeth through. Right. There's cringy lines of dialogue. There are elements or even segments of it, maybe a whole season of the show. Or just like, wow, what were they thinking on this? But that doesn't change your view of the thing overall. And, you know, kind of related to that, I think something that game masters put on themselves is they see themselves as the single point of failure. If this game no, it's is always the player's fault. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and sometimes it is because it, it is. The, sometimes it's sometimes it's a game master, yeah. sometimes it's a player, but usually it's a collaborative effort of failure. But it's the game master comes into it worried that. It is my job to entertain the players, and if this game fails, it will have been my fault yep. that it failed. Yeah, see, and then that's and, the and, thing that gets me. It's not about fault. It's not about the, the emotional, sort of, like you said, the lizard brain part of it. All three of you are really good game masters, and all three of you really suck, too. That's okay. It's okay to be bad. You play you learn, you fail, you succeed. Have a bad game, identify the badness of the game, and say to yourself, can we, meaning you and the players, fix it or live with it? Or if you can't, end it and move on. We've and talked it's about not the- a moral, personal failing to run a sh- game. Yep. And we've talked about in the past how even a good game has bad sessions. Yeah. And how that gets, for some of us, that gets in our heads. Yeah. If yeah. you come from a bad session and go into the next session, that session is in my head well, the whole time. Here's the thing for a person who has the imposter GM syndrome, too. You have a group of people. 
So half the table may have loved the session. The other half may have hated the session. But like you said, the half that loved it said, damn, Wayne, that was a good game. Whereas one person on the half that didn't like it was like, eh, well, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Well, suddenly you're crushed. And that's that's not how it should be. Let me talk about why my successful campaigns have been successful. Because I think this is sort of a counterpoint. Because you bribe us with money to tell people you're a wonderful GM. Sure. <laughs> because I, <laughs> It works, it works. Where's my check? Because uh, it's in the mail. Right. I think this will serve as a good sort of counterpoint or juxtaposition in the song because of the fact that what this shows is the sorts of things that have to line up to make a game good. Because once again, when a game master has a game that fails, especially for people like three quarters of this table, too often we point that back at ourselves as opposed to any of the other possible points of failure. Let's take the sky as a glass game as an example. I came into that with some concepts, but generally speaking, a fairly open mind about what was going to happen. Two of the players were already big fans of that game and very excited about that game and very invested before it even started. The other two were very open-minded and you know very willing to participate. So I didn't have any players that were reticent about the concept. It's a setting and a system I know very well by virtue of I'm its creator. So... I was comfortable within this setting and system. It's one that I'd run before and had experience knowing how to make it work. It's one where as the game went on, the players have been very, very proactive. They have contributed a lot. They've contributed wit. They've contributed character depth. They've contributed their own ideas back into the setting They've done things to stir the pot and give me new plot elements that I can work into it. And everyone in the game has done this. And all of these things together have made the game work. I think it also is important that for once we followed our own damn advice about how not to fall flat on your face. We did plenty of session zero work. We did pregame work to work out the group template to work out what everyone wanted, out what I wanted from you guys, what you guys wanted from me, what you guys wanted from each other, what the group was going to be like, what kind of story this was going to be. People came into it, and I realize many plans don't survive contact with the enemy, but we had a plan in place to at least make sure this was set up for success. We didn't go on this journey without a map and suitcase. You know, we had some idea of where we were going. And there's all these factors that fit together to make it the successful campaign that it is. And there's a lot of small choices, choices of what people choose to say during particular moments, choices of what people do in particular moments to steer the plot one way or another, or to explore their character versus to punch out or to try and make things more interesting for the other players or involve them again or to ask me as the game master, hey, is there something you need me to do here? There's all kinds of little choices that are occurring along the way. Does the success of this campaign, or any other successful campaign I've run, on some level speak to the fact that I'm not an imposter? Yes, it does. But it also speaks to a whole lot of other factors that I can influence, but I can't control. And so... Here's the very, very wonderfully liberating thing about that. At first, it's a little terrifying to say, 
I can't steer this ship. It's a little bit freaky at first. But once you really think that through, what that tells you is if you can't steer the ship, then if the ship crashes, it may be unpleasant for everyone involved, but it's not your fault it crashed because you never had the ability to solely keep it on course to begin with. And even if it crashes because of a mistake you made, you're the one that took the wheel and turned it hard to pour it into the rocks. It's human. Everybody screws things up. But more often than not, that's not the case. More often than not, there are many factors that work into a successful or unsuccessful game. And there's a certain amount of liberation that because you don't have to carry that on your shoulders anymore. Right. And every and all those factors, you don't have it's not a shuttle launch, right? It doesn't have to always line up exactly perfectly. You can, you know, not achieve some of these things and still have a successful yeah. game. You should kind of take the Bob Ross approach to it. You know, they're happy little accidents. In right. There. Talking about um, knowing the setting and things like that, there is also that uh, some people have added pressure of uh, adhering to canon or running for somebody who maybe knows the setting better than you do. That is intimidating. Because, I mean, I've ran Star Trek games, but could I run a Star Trek game for Dan? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because I think I know Star Trek, but do I know it as well as you guys do? Maybe not. You know, it's like running a, a Star Wars game and trying to adhere to all this canon that's mm-hmm. out there. And it's like, and I've I've actually made that mistake where I'm like, player character wanted to do something, and and we play this this uh, this session, and then after the fact, the player says, "I'd like to make that character a contact," and I was like, "Well, sorry, because in canon, Luke Skywalker kills that character in a video game." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and it was like well that yeah. really kind of over my idea because right. you know, it, it just kind of crushes you and I, that was a major mistake that i made was you know if i'm going to use something you know be able to ad- adhere to canon when you need to and not be such a stickler when it comes to i love stuff. knowing canon when the players don't because i will then take that and i'll make it whatever i want it to be change things but use it as influence and they'll never know that you know the characters have been switched around I think if I were going to try to run a game that was something like a Star Wars game, I would want to do something big right away to show that the movies, the books, that that isn't this universe. Kill a character that survives or something just to get that out of the way, get it out of people's heads. Anything can happen. Your story, not the movie. You want to blow up Vulcan in the first five minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My rule of thumb on that has always been that I I almost always follow canon up to game one. The moment game yep. one begins, I'm off the rails. It's whatever the players do or whatever I decide to do is where it goes. You know, Eric, there's an episode we did on this. It's way back in our catalog. But people talk a lot about rules lawyers. Mm-hmm. But I have encountered a second type of lawyer that sometimes is even more disruptive than the rules lawyer, which is the setting lawyer. Oh, absolutely. Somebody who has read all the books and played all the video games and all the magazine articles and reads the author's blog. And and you know what's about that type of person, whether they're the game master or a player, is the details aren't important. You know, the, the little, this character here and this character had this name, but this character wasn't here on this planet at this time. None of that's important. It's the feel, the genre, the theme of the established universe and certain 
framework yeah, well, around how things be a work. Douche about it. Yeah. Man, I was playing a BattleTech game. Let me start playing, not running. Okay, so I was playing in a BattleTech game with a game master who was really intimidated to run BattleTech for me. I mean, this was back in the day when I was still actively writing stuff for AWOL and FASA. And when we went into the game, you know, he told me he was fairly intimidated about it. There was a plot situation he set up where by all rights in the plot, all I would have to do is walk to the nearest hyperpulse generator, which is a communication thing in Battletech, and tell the faction that runs those what was going on, and they would have unleashed holy hell and put a quick end to it, and the whole game would have been over. Wow, that's exciting. Exactly. <laughs> and I knew that, and so as a result, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. As a result, I said, you know what? I know what he's trying to do. It doesn't take a genius to see the plot he's trying to tell. How about I just not be an a-hole? Right. And it was really that simple. And I did, I think, later tell him, hey, just if you're curious as a bit of canon, this is what's going on out there. But hey, it's your game. Yeah. Why, why do I feel the need to disrupt that? Because, I mean, because it's, it's, it's no different than a rules lawyer. A rules lawyer abuses the rules to their own end, and a setting lawyer abuses the setting to their own end. Right. I've ran Star Trek games for people who really, really know Star Trek and had that happen where it's like, well, no, according to this book, and this is before even the new movies and all that stuff. And this person was, you know, spouting off books from the eighties. I'd be like, you know, Hey, who wrote that book? Oh, it was this person. Are they at this table? No. Shut the f*** up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you see their name on any of the source books I got in front of me? Are they going to come to my house and beat me in the kneecaps with a lead pipe because I'm not doing this? I don't think. Oh, they can try. They can try. <laughs> they don't want to do that. We're going to just have a different sort of night. <laughs> but all right, cool. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up here. I hope this has been helpful. If you have ever been intimidated by the thought of game mastering or worried that you're not living up to it, nobody does. We don't look the success we're having with the Skies of Glass game and seem to be having now with the very start and it's still pregame of the Battletech game. I mean, if that pans out, look, this is lightning striking. And this is years of failure. This is not us being some kind of you know geniuses of the hobby. So it's just a game. It's just a game. Get out there, do it, have fun with it. And if you screw something up, who cares? It's a happy little accident. It's a happy little accident. You learn from it. You laugh about it. You paint a tree over it and you move on. Mm-hmm. So anyways, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.